Last Sunday, I told a story about fishing. I don't know how many comments I've received about that story. One dear brother handed me a little clipping, and it goes like this. With statistics, you can prove almost anything. Consider that the Earth's surface is three-fourths water and one-fourth land. This makes it obvious that God intended man to spend three times as much time fishing as he does mowing the lawn. I just love response to messages. It's incredible. The reaction is beautiful. I've just rejoiced all week at the beautiful sounds of victory that have been coming as a result of the preaching of the Word of God and even the good feeling that can come from a fisherman when he hears me say, don't ask me to go fishing. You're a great bunch, and you keep me right on the brink all the time. And I say that in a positive way. I just have to be on my toes with you around. And that's good for me. Thank you. Today I begin a series of five messages answering some questions that are asked of me. The how can I know kind of questions. This morning, how can I know I am going to heaven. We have shared 1 John 5, verse 13, which is a tremendous proclamation. Hear it again. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Underline in your Bible those words that ye may know. One of the most striking characteristics of the apostles and of the New Testament church was the element of certainty. They were men who knew the books they wrote that make up the canon of the New Testament are books of certainty. These men knew their sins had been forgiven. They knew they were on their way to heaven. The books of the New Testament are books of affirmation, books of positive declaration to men of all time as to the eternal plan and purpose of God. It was never God's intent to leave any of us in the dark. It was God's intent to bring us into light, to bring us into understanding, to bring us to a place of standing firm in the principles that he expounded. I want to look at three things with you in our message today. The first is, what did they know? Speaking of these early leaders of the church, 
If we are to answer your question, how can I know if I'm going to heaven? We must answer this question, what did they know? Let me give you some examples. You'll have to write fast if you're making notes, but remember everything I say is on tape and you can pick it up at the tape room. 1 John 3:14. Back one page from where we read together a while ago. We know that we have passed from death unto life. These men knew that. We know we have passed from death unto life. 1 John 5:19, write down the page from our text. We know that we are of God. There was no question about that. There are people all around today who say, I wonder if God is for me. Well, they knew that they were of God, which meant they had an absolute certainty that God was for them. In Ephesians 1.7, we know in whom we have the forgiveness of sins. There was no question about that. 1 John 3, verse 2. We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. We know that. No question at all. 2 Corinthians 5, 8. We know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. No question about that. Romans 8:39. We know that nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not even death. We know that. That was their declaration. I guess we would have to say that as we read the New Testament, we would declare it is affirmation piled upon affirmation. One on top of the other. We know, we know, we know, we know. They not only knew, but they knew that they knew, if you know what I mean. Now what did this do for these men? This is what excites me. As I study the record, this knowledge enabled them to withstand every difficulty, to overcome every obstacle, and to turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. An observation of your pastor is, the reason so many individuals struggle with Christianity struggle with living this life on a day-by-day -day basis is because they do not live with certainty in their mind and life. As a result, they are weak when they face a mountain. They're weak when the enemy picks away at them. 
They are insubstantial when it comes to taking a stand in the midst of wickedness and darkness, but not so with these early followers of Jesus Christ. They knew that they knew that they knew, and they overcome they overcame every obstacle, every difficulty, every insurmountable problem because of the fact of the faith that was in them, created by Jesus Christ. It will work the same today. These people who go around telling us we cannot expect to have what the early church had, I would like to ring their Doctrine. Because Hebrews 13.8 says, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why is it that people cannot accept what the Bible declares to be truth for today as much as they accepted it when it was given to them by the Holy Ghost? It is not for us to lift out what we want and throw it away. It is all there for edification, for comfort, for judgment, for righteousness, for correction, for everything that God intended it to be. And we must believe it if it's to be a strength in us, if it's to be a part of us and help us stand in a wicked world. They knew it, therefore they were firm in their way of life. I may have told you this story some time ago. If I did, forgive me, I'm not sure. But when I was a boy, I had an uncle and an aunt who lived in Yakima, Washington, across the mountains. And they had a very large family, which meant I had a lot of cousins. And on one occasion, my two older brothers and I went across the mountain. That was the first trip I ever took, and it was like going to the end of the world. I didn't even sleep the night before because we were going to drive 130 miles to Yakima. And so there we were on the farm in Yakima with all those cousins. My two older brothers and those cousins were not necessarily good for me. I phoned my brother Marvin this morning because this is his birthday and I wanted to be the first to wish him happy birthday. I was not only the first to wish him a happy birthday, I was the one who reminded him it was his birthday. He hadn't even thought about it, he said. So anyway, he was one of the culprits. That fellow who stood here preaching to you just a few weeks ago, persecution. Because at that farm, there was a creek that ran along the course of the farm. And they loved to jump over the creek. You know, they'd get way back and just run at it and jump to the other side. I knew I could do it. I could do anything they could do, even though I was the youngest and the smallest. And of course, they egged me on. They challenged me to do it. And I love a challenge. I've always believed I could do anything within reason. And so I got back and headed for that creek. I mean, I made a running start. 
for that creek. And just as I got to the edge, ready to make my leap across the creek, all of my cousins and my brothers yelled, hold it! If you do not know what indecision will do to you, let me tell you. In that split second, something happened that should not have happened to someone so kind as me. I ended up in the middle of the creek because of hesitation, uncertainty, wavering. Has it ever happened to you something like that? Maybe it was with your automobile and you thought you could get out there before that car in the distance reached you and just as you got part of the way out, you wondered. And so you don't know whether to hit the brake or the accelerator and your foot's going back and forth and there you sit. Oh, what a feeling. Some people join Heaven's Choir early because of that. Well, let's apply that to spiritual truth. We sing Fanny Crosby's great song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. What she wrote was divine inspiration. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. He's mine right now. I know he's mine. And then she wrote, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Not only today, but in all of my tomorrows. He's mine. She stood on that and wrote it, and we sing it with great gladness. If you come to this thing of spiritual life with uncertainty, with doubts, you will never be firm. You will never be strong. You will end up in the middle of the creek. These disciples knew who they were, where they were, who God was, where they were going. They knew it, and they expounded it with great courage. We need more Ruth Hoffmans in the world today. Ruth Hoffman lived over in Redwood City. She found herself in the hospital, room 119, at Sequoia, California. Ruth was 57 years old, and she was dying of bone cancer. In room 119 of that hospital, she said, today is a happy day. She was greeting her relatives and her friends in her room, many of them for the last time, and she had billed this gathering in her room as a going-away party, complete with cookies and coffee and all the trimmings, chatter and laughter. Ruth said, I have a date way up there with God. Her husband of 34 years was there. Her grandson, Scott, five, and Christopher, two, were there. Her daughter, Linda Gate of Sunnyvale, was there. Her son, Don, 24, came down from Oregon 
for the going away party. Ruth said, we all have to die. I'm ready now. I've learned the closer one lives to God, the happier one becomes as the end approaches. Oh, I like that. Away with this gloom business when a believer comes to die. We stand around and say, oh, isn't it horrible? Isn't it terrible? Oh, oh. not Ruth Hoffman. She gathered everybody together, cookies, coffee. This is a happy time because Ruth Hoffman knew where she was going. There were no tears. There was a spirit of gladness. And what a testimony to an uncertain world. In this, we find the words and truth of the Apostle Paul. The time of my departure is at hand. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Is there any uncertainty in that? Absolutely not. It is firm. I know it's going to be. That's what these men knew. The second thing I want to talk to you about is when and where was this assurance lost? If they knew that, if they wrote it in the record called the Bible, where was this assurance lost? Well, in case you don't know, it was during the Middle Ages. That's when this assurance was lost because in the Middle Ages the church turned away from the Scripture. They began to preach a gospel of good works that they could rest on their own merits and the cross of Jesus Christ was put outside. Let's not talk about a cross of suffering. Let's not talk about blood. That's too gory. We will trust in our merits. They began to trust in their own goodness, their own efforts, their own piety, their own good works, and they lost, therefore, the assurance of these early disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was so bad that during the Middle Ages when the bubonic plague broke out, caused by rats, that they protected the rats and let people die like flies. For they felt that in a rat there was something to do with the eternal, something to do with the eternal soul, and they would dare not kill a rat, but they let people die like flies. How foolish and blind can men get? It happened because they took their eyes off from the certain word of God, the certain word of truth. They lost their assurance. Because of it, Martin Luther in 1517, nailed his 95 Theses to the door of the church at Wittenberg. This is what I believe. And there came what is known as a great reformation because the church had departed from the truth. They had departed from the assurance of salvation and of eternal life. And Martin Luther knew they had to return. And he stood against the whole church as he nailed his Theses to the door. In Heidelberg, the Heidelberg Catechism was formed. The year was 1563. That catechism begins with this question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And this is the answer in part. 
that I belong body and soul in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life. Hallelujah. The Heidelberg Confession. When did that come? Following those dark ages, the Middle Ages. That's when that had to be written. That's when it had to be repeated because it had been lost in the church through those ages. And it came back. Thank God it came back. Some call God a liar. Notice what verse 10 says in our text. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. You see, some people say, well, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I don't know if I'm going to heaven. That says, God, you're a liar. Because God has said that if you believe on his son, Jesus Christ, you inherit eternal life. Don't call God a liar. God says that those who trust in his son will be received into heaven that they have passed from death unto life, the devil comes along and says, Aha, you're no different. You're still wicked. You're still sinful. Look at those things that you do. But Jesus says, Your sins are covered. You're anointed of me for service. Go live for me, and I will one day come for you. That's what the Word teaches. That's what the Word says. Don't go around listening to the lies of the devil. Don't listen to those doctrines that come from whatever source that say nobody can be sure. No one can really know. I stand here to tell you today emphatically and assuredly that what God has said is true, that what this Bible declares is the word of the living God. You can depend upon it in life, and you can depend upon it in death. There is no other revelation. There is no other truth. There is no other way. It is what God has revealed for your sanity and for your assurance and for your victory in this life and in the life which is to come. Now you say, Pastor, what are you so head up about? Because we are returning in so many ways to exactly what was declared during the Middle Ages. You see, all across the land today, there is what we know as modernism. There are modernistic churches. You could have picked one out to go to church today, not too far from where we meet, I'm sure, who would not declare what I'm declaring. In fact, if you sat through the service, you would walk out wondering what they did say. Well, I want you to know by the help of God that will never happen here because we are committed to what this book says. And we are not a modernistic church. We are not a liberal church. We are a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Bible-teaching church. If that's what you want, you're in the right place. If you want modernism, if you want liberalism, goodbye. You'll not find it here. All we have is plain vanilla. We don't have 26 flavors. We don't have pistachio. We don't have all of that other 
We only have vanilla, the word of God, which saves our soul. And that's all you're going to get from this pulpit. I am here to tell you today that you can know. I am here to declare unto you that you can be sure that it is God's will for you to know, that it is God's will for you to be sure that you can live with confidence, you can die with confidence and assurance. I have stood by hundreds of beds and hundreds of people who I knew were going to die, and I'll tell you there is a difference. When you know Jesus and when you have accepted the truth of his word into your mind and into your heart, you can die in victory. You can go with gladness. You can go with confidence. You can leave it all behind and say, as the apostle said, the time of my departure is at hand, but I go knowing there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me in heaven. If you haven't put that on for size, do it today and discover what I'm saying is truth. When and where was the assurance lost during the Middle Ages? And I'm not going to let that happen in the 20th century if I can help it. And there are many who believe as I believe, thank God. There are many who are thundering forth the truth today. With opposition, yes, but with boldness and with results. We are not here to declare a gospel of good works. You can't work your way into heaven. If you think you can, when you come to die, you'll be empty and you'll feel alone. We're not here to tell you if you put so much in the offering, you'll make it. It doesn't work that way. We don't want you to sign a card and think that that assures you of some place in eternity. Those of us watching by television, you cannot get heaven, get to heaven by your good works. You cannot gain everlasting life by things you do. If that were necessary, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. You come on his merits and his merits alone. And if you come that way, you will be saved. And you can know him eternally. Third thing we need to examine today is the false arguments that are presented in our time about the soul and about eternity. There are three. The first is what we know as soul sleep. Some believe that the state to which we are reduced by death is one of silence. It is one of inactivity and entire unconsciousness. You're just, for so many years, you just sleep. That's it. Nothing. Well, I want you to look at Luke 16. And I'm here only to share with you what I have seen in the Word of God. I'm not here to give you my own ideas. For my ideas are only what I have gleaned out of this eternal book. I have not been to the other side yet. So I have to read those words that come from some who have been. And Jesus is one of them. And the Holy Spirit has seen it from the beginning to the end, and he inspired these men to write. Jesus Christ, the Son of the Eternal God, in Luke 16, talked about a rich man who fared sumptuously every day. Now that's speaking about this life. He had everything he needed. He had servants, he had maids, he had cars, he had ranches, he had homes, he had estates. He fared sumptuously. He was a rich man. But Jesus goes on to reveal where this man was spending eternity. 
For Jesus said he cried out in hell, I am tormented in this flame. His soul was not in a state of unconsciousness. He felt the flames. He felt the anguish and the pain of separation from God. He cried, go tell my brothers that they may not come here as I have come. Warn them. It was a sermon from hell for the whole world. I am very much alive. I know what's happening. I am in torment. Jesus told that story, and he knew. Not unconsciousness, not inactivity. Jesus said to the penitent thief, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. A moment later, Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The spirit of Jesus and the spirit of the penitent thief passed into paradise under the care of God while their bodies were committed to the earth. So, friends, here is what we need to understand. It is the body that sleeps, not the soul. Now, this body that you look at is not Glenn Cole. This body could do nothing without the soul, which is in this body, functioning, telling these fingers what to do, telling these feet where to go, telling this mouth what to speak. It's just the dwelling place of Glen Cole. It's a shell. It's a temple. It's a tent. It's a tabernacle, according to the word. I live at 4005 Copper Tree Way. That is my home. But I go and come from that home. That's just where I live. This is a house. This is a tabernacle where I live. One day, should Jesus not come first, this tabernacle will be put down. But I will be in the presence of the Lord because I've made my calling and my election sure. I know where I'm going to spend eternity. This body will be laid in a grave somewhere. But I will be very much alive and very much active. The body sleeps, but the soul goes to be with God if that person be a Christian. Let me further point out to you from Acts 7, verses 54 through 60, that Stephen, the first martyr of the church, the Bible says, fell asleep. Now, this is where some get the idea that we have soul sleep, but let's read on. This does not imply that Stephen's soul passed into a state of unconsciousness. For in the 55th verse of Acts 7, we read that he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And then as he died, Stephen said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knew where his body was going. It was going to be buried under a pile of rock. But he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The spirit takes its leave. It goes back to the God who gave it while the body is buried awaiting the day of resurrection. It is not hard to understand. That is what the Bible teaches us. My friend, you need to be ready for death. 
The second doctrine that is perpetrated today is the doctrine of annihilation. This simply says that the soul of the wicked ceases to exist the moment of death. Now that's a very convenient doctrine for the wicked. And those are the ones who usually like to talk about it. When I'm gone, I'm gone. Blankety blank blank. That's it. Don't bring any flowers. Just dig a hole and thrust me in. That's it. Over. You know why they like that doctrine? It eases their conscience. They can live like the devil and say, what difference does it make when I die? <clears throat> That's it. Mud, dust. Huh. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Jesus said it in John 5, 28 and 29. Yes, we preach a gospel of love, but I must be fair with you today, my friend. You will not just at the end. There is something to live for and something to die for. And never forget what Jesus, who lived on both sides, said. He said, don't marvel at this, for those who die in Christ will be raised in a resurrection unto life, but those who die outside of Christ will be raised to a resurrection of damnation. There is a hell to avoid. If I had to strike the fear of God into your heart by telling you there is a hell and you're going there, if you reject Jesus, then let me do it. I don't want you to perish. There is a heaven for you. And all you have to do is receive God's free gift to receive heaven. If you look at Revelation 20, two chapters from the end of the entire Bible, verses 12 through 15. John saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. There's nobody left out. I don't care how wicked that man gets. I don't care what his doctrine is about the end, whether it's soul sleep or annihilation. The small and the great John saw stand before God. You'll give an account just as I will. Isn't it interesting that there's no annihilation in nature? Nothing ever dies in nature forever. It's all raised up again. We love spring because it's newness of life. The dead winter is revived. There's no death in nature, annihilation in nature. And there's no annihilation for the soul. Now, the third doctrine is one called purgatory. Now, I do not stand in this pulpit to knock any group. That is not my purpose at all. But you immediately identify that word with a certain church. Now I want you to know that there are a lot of people within that church changing their ideas. And thank God for it. I think it's exciting. I believe there are many Catholic people who love Jesus Christ as I love him and are going to be in the rapture of the church. But there are others, as there are in any church, who have put their faith in doctrines that are not correct. They're not according to the word. And one of those doctrines is purgatory. 
that if I miss it in this life, I go to an intermediate state, and there, by the prayers of my loved ones and the gifts of my loved ones, God will say, all right, he's ready now, she's ready now to come into the kingdom of heaven. You will never find that anywhere in the Bible. Here's what you will find. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Not just a part. There's no way that you have to go somewhere else and pay for the rest of your sins, whatever the rest might be. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from A-L-L, all sin. I'm not planning on going to any other place than heaven. Now, in regard to purgatory, I believe in the word because the word means purgation. And I want you to know, we here at Capital Christian Center believe in a purgatory. Our purgatory is Calvary. It was on the hill of Calvary, on the cross of Jesus Christ, that our sins were judged. They were nailed to that cross. They were there dealt with by Jesus Christ once and for all, we now receive forgiveness of all of our sins. We've already been to purgatory if we've come to the cross. Hallelujah! I know people who have been told, if you will give a certain amount of money and pray a certain number of prayers, your loved one will come out of purgatory. I have heard there is one more leg yet to come out. Now, don't laugh. It's true. One more leg, one more prayer, one more offering, and we'll have him all the way out. My friends, let us not be so foolish. That is not the word of God. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. You don't have to go to a purgatory other than Calvary. You can know you're right with God this very day. Now, having dealt with those false truths, so-called, do you today, right now, believe God? If you do, 1 John 5, 12 says, He that hath the Son hath life. Now, that life has no interruption. That life keeps on going. It is not life now, and then you come to a brick wall and you back up, or it ends. That life keeps going. It is called eternal, everlasting life. The moment you receive it, it begins never to end. That's what John was talking about. He that hath the Son hath life, spiritual life. John 5, 24, if you do, you shall not come into condemnation. John 10, 28, you shall never perish. 1 John 5, 10, he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. You know right now by the witness inside of you whether you are ready or whether you are not. What is the Spirit saying inside of you? Now, we're not depending on our works. We're not depending on our name. We're not depending on anything but the blood of Jesus Christ. What does the witness inside say? I'm ready or not? 
What right would you have if you should die today to stand before God and say, God, let me into your heaven? On what basis would you ask? On what basis would you try to get in? If it's on any other basis than the one I'm preaching to you about today, it is false. It will not save you. It will not hold you up. It will perish like a spider's web in your hand. The Song of Solomon gives the witness, My beloved is mine, and I am his. Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Hear me today as a servant of Jesus Christ. You can know you're going to heaven. You can know it on the authority of the word, and you can know it by the witness in your own heart. Every man shall know. You know. Annie Crosby knew. That's why she gave us that great hymn. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. What a future awaits us. What a life we have now in Christ. You have the witness inside. Let's bow in prayer, please. And as I pray, will you reach up to God? Will you analyze, scrutinize, evaluate? Are you ready? Are you right with God? Heavenly Father, I want to personally thank you that I can stand here today with absolute confidence and assurance and declare truth. That I don't have to hesitate or hem and haw around and talk about, well, hope so, think so, maybe so. Mm -hmm. We can know. Thank you, God. And may the word be like a hammer now, breaking the rock in pieces, like an arrow penetrating. May those who have heard this message, whether it be right here in this sanctuary or on television or listening by radio or by tape, may everyone now commit to Jesus Christ. While our heads are bowed and we are praying together, I want to ask how many of you know for a sure, surety that you're ready?